Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with, for now, just Jason. Hey, everyone. Hope I'm enough. You are enough, my friend. <laughs> I know we miss Michael, but... We do no. miss Michael. He's on his little hiatus, mm-hmm. and we're cruising through with the extreme horror for October. Yes. Um, if you're still subscribed to the show after we covered a Serbian <laughs> film, uh, we have perhaps... Our hats off to you. Our hats off to you. <laughs> and we have perhaps a lighter option this week with Angst from 1983. Is it? Is it a lighter option? We'll get into that. Okay. But first, like always, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, and I got a shout out. All right, another shout out. I have a special one this time. I'm going to shout out a YouTube channel. YouTube channel? So shout out to Blu-ray Outlaw. This is a guy, his name's Chris, and we were childhood friends. That's why I wanted to shout him out. Oh, nice. Um, a lot of the times I've told my stories of like, oh, I went with some people and we went and rented a movie and watched it and did this or that. He's one of those people that was right there with me for a lot of that stuff. And it's funny because we he was my next door neighbor growing up, and we were both kind of into horror and films and stuff. And then for like a long time after we grew up, we kind of just went our own ways and like... Uh, you know, nothing negative or anything. We just kind of, you know, you get locked into what sure. you're doing and yeah. stuff. Drift apart. And recently we had reconnected and it's like the same stuff. Like I'm doing this podcast now and then he has this YouTube channel, Blu-ray Outlaw. And so basically it's just a channel where he kind of chronicles his uh, enjoyment in film and particularly horror. Uh, so he'll do like unboxings. He'll post like video hauls when he buys his new Blu-rays and go over them. Talk about them after he watched them. Uh, he shares everything to do with like horror movies, horror vinyls and music, action figures, any kind of horror collectible. He's in on that and making videos and content. Sweet. Um, I've watched a few of them. So they've been pretty fun. We might try to collaborate with him in the future. If we can line up all our schedules. That'd be awesome. Uh, anyways, love you, man. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Go check it out. Show him some love. Sweet. So Jason, what have you been watching? I watched... Uh, last week I watched some uh, Euro Trash. Mm-hmm. So this week I decided to watch more Euro Trash, and I watched The Beast in Heat oh. from 1977. Never seen it, but I know the title well. Yeah, uh, directed by Luigi Bazzella. Bazzella. Um, <clears throat> a beautiful and nefarious senior female SS officer slash doctor creates a genetic mutant human beast. The beast is a rapacious, squat, mongoloid sex fiend, which she uses to torture and molest female prisoners while the Nazis watch. I should probably read now, these before I actually... No, I want to be clear. You're just reading the synopsis. This is the synopsis yeah. on IMDb. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> it's just a little mean about it. Okay. The beast in heat. Wow. Where to start? Okay. This is two different movies. It wants to be like a war movie, and then it wants to be like a Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. That's what I was thinking of as you described it. Yeah. So half of it is this half-ass war with these... <laughs> half-ass war. Yeah, it's pathetic. It's sad. They use so much stock footage from other movies, it's not even funny. Um, but it's set in Italy, and there's like some resistance people there trying to fight the Nazis. That's half the story. The other half is this... Uh, beautiful, nefarious, senior female SS officer slash doctor who thinks that creating some sort of mutant rapist is going to win the, you know, the war. 
Okay, so who is more of an actual doctor, the woman in this film or the speed freak from a Serbian film? Oh, probably the speed freak from Serbian film. <laughs> uh, at least we saw her doing doctory things. Mm-hmm. This movie's pretty hilarious. If you can get past the... If you like trash, and this is sleazy trash, there's like a lot of torture scenes and rape scenes and stuff. Uh, they're not particularly explicit. Uh, it is explicit, but it's not particularly convincing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask because um, last time when we were kind of overviewing extreme horror, you mentioned Ilsa. Uh-huh. So I was going to ask, is this also extreme? I think people would... You could probably throw it in the extreme mm-hmm. you know, pile, but it's not... It can come and hang out. It just can't stay over the night. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, the titular beast is just some kind of hairy guy. I mean, there's not, like, any real makeup or okay. anything. Well, I mean, Mongoloid's a little rude in that case. <laughs> it is a little rude. You expect, like, Jason Voorhees or something. <laughs> so he's, like, you know... Listen, he's a good boy, and he loved his mom. <laughs> he is. And leave him alone. <laughs> so this big hairy dude's, like, just pawing at these women, and <laughs> it's just... It's not convincing. It's stupid and funny. Um, <laughs> there's torture scenes where the, where the people just look bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a hilarious scene that is worth the price of admission alone. So they're doing the torturing the people be- because of reasons, right? Um, I guess that's actually what really happened. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so they're doing the thing where they they get a woman strapped down on the table and they've got the rat in a bucket mm-hmm. on her, strapped to her her stomach, and they're applying fire to the the bucket to make the rat go crazy and start okay. tearing off her entrails, right? Sure. Okay, they, we just see the bucket. We don't see the creature inside. So she's screaming, and ah, we see blood coming out, and they go to another torture, and they come back after a minute, and they take the bucket off. Okay. And inside the bucket, sitting on her stomach, are two guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking cute guinea pigs. Okay. I shit you not. And they're, like, covered in fake blood. <laughs> Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> they're just sitting there being guinea pigs. And it's like, there's just fake blood on her stomach and no entrails to speak of or anything like that. And one of them just kind of scrambles off. It's just, <laughs> and they linger on it way too long. I mean, even like a, a horribly, you know, messed up film or a third generation VHS, you could still tell that these are guinea pigs. Hmm. Oh, so wow. it's pretty funny. If you can get past. Okay. You know, boring war stuff. It's not at all convincing or compelling in any way. Kind of glad I've never watched it. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you're an aficionado of this sort of stuff, check it out. If not, yeah, please, just just don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay. How about you? What have you been watching? Well, speaking of Euro trash, kind of glad I picked this now. I want to circle back and talk about a movie. And it's funny, I'm not trying to just like ride on you here and like just make you love me or something, but mm. I checked out a movie, movie that uh, you got me as a gift. Oh, okay. I sat on it for a while, and um, Mondo Macabro just like released a bunch of cool stuff. And I was like, yo, I've got one I've never watched from them. Mm-hmm. And it was one that you gifted to me, uh, Blood Ceremony, a.k.a. The Legend of Blood Castle. Yeah, I still need to see this. Directed by George Grau from 1973. What you think? I loved it. It's yeah, so much fun. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's like it's basically just supposed to be sort of an Elizabeth Bathory kind of tale. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they spin it that in the story, the, the lead woman is like a descendant of hers. 
and it's kind of this whole like curse fate thing that she'll like reenact the same the same acts and stuff and um yeah she gets that whole affliction of like oh i'm getting old and mm-hmm. my husband doesn't love me anymore and i have to have the blood the blood to fix it uh-huh um which interestingly she like ropes the husband in on acquiring the blood and he's got this whole subplot where he's like in love with one of the village girls and he kind of wants to just run off and be with her and have like a whimsical time. Um, but he's sort of like bound to his wife to like honor her wish and give her the blood. And he wants to be a good husband. Yeah. Um, so many sexy ladies in this film. Just yeah. going to be honest with you, All man. Right. Like they're in the tight corsets with everything like stuffed up, you know. Can't Whew. go wrong with that gothic okay. shit. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for that, but I had to share. Um, it gets into an interesting, almost like vampire plot where they think like a creature is like lurking the village hmm. and then like draining the blood of the young women. But really it's the husband of like kind of seducing a girl and then he'll abduct her and take her back to the castle. And he does the whole thing where it's like, there's a upper area room with like a stone slab and he puts her on it. Of course he kind of makes out with it a little bit, you sure, know, he's yeah. got to tease it up. Yeah. Um, but then he'll slit his, her throat and it drains down and like drips down beneath to a lower chamber where his wife is hmm. to bathe in the blood. Cool. I need to watch this. Um, so really fun. It's really more of like a psychological horror film in a lot of ways because it's like the mentality of her and this like legend of Countess Bathory and and then him and their relationship and his love for this other woman and um, a lot more layered than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be just a very generic like girls get abducted and killed kind of mm-hmm. thing. But there's there's a lot of like. Uh, neat concepts going on in there. Sweet. Yeah, Jorge Grau is criminally underrated. Oh, yes, I suppose I mispronounced his name. I apologize. Oh, that's fine. Because um, he did uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, too, correct? Great film, yep. Very great film. I don't think he did a lot of horror, but he's really good. He should have done more. Anyway, cool. I'm glad you dug it. Awesome. awesome. Yep. I'm Thanks gonna... for it. I'm happy to have it in the collection. Absolutely. I'm going to have to bum that one too sometime to watch it. All right. Today we are talking about Jason's pick for our extreme horror block, All for Halloween. Angst from 1983, directed by Gerald Cargi. Jason, would you like to give us any preamble or a synopsis or... Um, you know, this is one that I... I think this movie kind of disappeared after mm-hmm. it came out. It wasn't... I never saw it in the video store. I never really read anything about it. And I think it got kind of rediscovered, mm-hmm. like in the 20-teens or something. And it's uh, Austrian, right? It is Austrian, yep. yes. Um, it is about a troubled man that gets released from prison and starts taking out his sadistic fantasies on an unsuspecting family. Um, so I didn't know much about it. I saw it making some of the lists of like most extreme or disturbing films. Uh, Gaspar Noe champions the hell out of this movie. Yes. Any interview, he will bring it up as like an inspiration. And you could tell that after watching it. Um, so one day I just checked it out and I really, really, really dug it. I was very impressed. So I filed that away. I always wanted to do this on (laughs) the podcast and I thought this might be a good time. Now it is not... In extreme, as in gore, left and right, it's more subtle than that. It's um, disturbing in its themes, I think. Yes, yes. Oh, so, and before we get away from uh, Noe, uh, he's on record as saying he has seen this film 40 times, 
And on the Blu-ray release of the movie, he headlines a lot of the special features talking about it. That's cool. Nice. So it's awesome that he loved it so much that he got to then share that love on the Blu-ray. It's wonderful. It's what it should be. Yes. I'm still waiting for Third Window to contact me about Suicide Club, but <laughs> I think they got more prestigious people, you know. Apparently. I That's know, okay. I don't know how, but we'll get to you. All right. And you had not seen Angst before now. I had now. not seen it. I knew of it mostly because of Gaspar Noe <laughs> talking it up. <laughs> All right. So should we just jump in with the, uh, yeah. the plot? It opens with this lead. Uh, he is a serial killer. We know that right away. Um, he's never given really a name, right? He's mostly just referred to as like the psychopath or yeah. isn't he like K? At K, one, one yeah, point? the letter K. Yeah, just the letter and K. The psychopath, yeah. Uh, but it starts with a shot of him walking down the street, mm-hmm. carrying a gun, and he's kind of testing the gates of houses, and he gets to one that's open, goes into it, uh, knocks on the door, elderly woman answers, and he shoots her. It blows the fuck away. Yep. This very much gave me like the Richard Ramirez vibe, because that's, that's the story of the Night Stalker, like he just would go house to yeah, house. just random. Until he could find the one where he could get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he runs off, and then we get like a document documentary type narration. Yeah, it switches styles very hard in this mm-hmm. moment, where it suddenly becomes like any true crime flick you've ever watched. Right. It's like the beginning was a reenactment. Yeah. And then it goes into the documentary or something. And during the narration, it's accompanied by steals, mm-hmm. and that even further intensifies the documentarian approach. Especially for that time in the '80s, that's like how they would have composed one. Right. And the thing that strikes me at the very beginning is how this movie is shot. Yeah, that was the that was the very first thing I wanted to talk about. And that that is something that will keep coming up in this movie during this discussion about how this movie was shot. It is so unique and so different. They have made some very interesting choices. Uh, a lot of the shots with the, it, the psychopath, it's like the camera's just like anchored to him up close. Yeah, it's almost like oh, people put like a GoPro on them or something yeah. facing toward them. That's how it looks. Except th- they this is 1983. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the steady cam was barely invented, mm-hmm. you know? So the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, how are they getting these shots? It, yeah. is, it is so inventive. And I... I can't think of anything before the year that this came out that looks anything like this movie. No, I, not to my mind. There might be something out there, but this is a restless camera. It mm-hmm. is almost always moving. There's interesting angles constantly. And it's often always tight on everything. You don't get a lot of like wide shots yeah. or establishing shots. And a lot of it's on the, the psychopath. Mm-hmm. I don't want to call him the protagonist because he's really the <laughs> antagonist. And it's just floating around him. We'll talk more about it. It's like you're scenes. locked in with him. Yeah. But it's the first thing that grabs you. It's interesting because a lot of the film, we get his narration. Yes. Talking about himself, what he's thinking about. And so you're just really like locked in tight with him for yeah. the whole film. It's all through his eyes, pretty much. We get that thing about the narrator, but interesting fact, I don't know if you know this, but this very beginning is not the director's preferred cut. Oh, yeah. I had a note about that. There's two cuts of the film. Mm-hmm. Because cinemas thought that the movie was too short. Yep. The original was 79 minutes, and then this additional stuff brought it up to 87. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it hurts the movie in any way. No, I don't think so. But some of the information is repeated through the narration. Yeah, you, you get some of this later. Yeah. Anyway, it would be interesting to see the other cut. Um, but the narrator talks about how the man 
was arrested. He tells the police he had no motive. He only knew that something had to happen when mm-hmm. he shot the old woman. Uh, it was the opinion of the psychologists and the, of the, and, uh, the court that the murder, murder has to have a motive. Yep. So they figured, oh, he was just there to rob the house and it went bad. So they sent him to prison. But nothing, nothing too severe. Yeah. And then we learn more about his background. It kind of goes into this whole spiel, just, you know, very dry information, mm-hmm. talking about him growing up. Uh, he was born out of wedlock, raised by his grandmother, who was ashamed of him. Uh, as a child, he was deemed dishonest by his teachers and was caught stealing. He was sent to a monastery to be a priest, but was kicked out after attacking animals with a knife. Which, if you, if you know your serial killer checklist, yeah, ding, violence, ding, ding. violence to animals is one of those big ones. Yeah, where's the pyromania? I bet he wet himself a lot in the bed, too. <laughs> um, he was sent back to his mother after being kicked out of the monastery, where he was frequently beaten by his stepfather. Um, at 15, he was initiated into the world of sex and uh, sadomasochism mm-hmm. by a 45-year-old woman. Like you do. As you do. Um, and then he began to feel violent toward his mother and other women and begins torturing small animals. Uh, he had attacked his mother and escaped to Paris, but then was arrested and deported. Uh, the psychologist who examined him uh, did not think that sadism excludes sanity. So he was in prison for another four years. <laughs> so in and out of prison for various offenses like this. And I don't know if this was a th- meant to be a theme of the film, but it definitely reinforces a thing that you get a lot if you're into true crime, where continually the system kind of fails yes. these people and doesn't get them the help they need or restrain them from going on to then cause greater travesty. Right. They don't see the big picture. They don't see that mm-hmm. this is a person that has... A horrible past, a traumatic right. past. They look at the one slice that is in front of them in that moment and yeah. then just want to resolve it as right. quickly as possible. Exactly. And again, this was like the early 80s. And serial killers were still kind of not even that as well known yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like today. Right. So, yeah. Failure of the courts, failure of the system. Abusive upbringing. You got yourself a killer. So... He, uh, the movie proper starts with him being released from prison. Which this is where we would begin. Yeah, the, in the director's, director's preferred cut. cut. This is where we would begin. Because we hear his thoughts. He talks about his compulsions while he prepares to leave for prison. Um, he talks about how he can never get rid of the desire to torture people. Yes, he says he needs to see the fear in the eyes of victims. Yes. Which I wanted to mention for a second, because when we go back to a Serbian film... From Vukmir's perspective, that was all about the victim. Yes. So there's a little like through line there with yeah, this film. Yeah, there is. Um, he th- says that he's been in prison half his life, but never committed a crime out of joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get more awesome shots. These shots. I mean, they're like... Uh, maybe it's a crane, but it would have to be uh, like a huge crane. There's this overhead shot of the prison yard, mm-hmm. and it just sort of comes down, and we get on the street level... And we follow him coming out. It's something you have to see. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so impressive. You're describing it well, but even then it's hard to like relate yeah, exactly. to what it actually looks like. Uh, this is such an active... Uh, the only thing I can relate it to in my experience of, around this time frame was Sam Raimi's camera work from The Evil Dead. How yeah. it was so inventive and just so unique. That's how I feel about this. Mm-hmm. Only this is like almost constant. Yeah. 
Um, so he's out and about now. He's a free man. He's out and about and immediately knows he's, he wants to kill. Yep. He's just got to find the right person. Mm-hmm. So he's, he comes across this coffee shop. <laughs> nice little diner. Nice little diner. Uh, he eyes a couple of attractive ladies. And here we get people around him. We, we, we get a lot of um, stares into the camera. Mm-hmm. Which could be interpreted in a couple of different ways. And I think that changes throughout the film. Because right now, they're, when they look at the camera, it's like they're looking at the psychopath at K. Yeah. But they're also looking at us. <laughs> you know? Um, and... Are you describing a bit of like a funny games sort of... Uh, there's definitely an implication. Meta awareness. That happens. Yeah. I wouldn't say that to that level. Mm-hmm. Not that cheeky. Mm-hmm. They don't whip out a remote and, and right, rewind, rewind it. <laughs> yeah. No. Not at all. Um... So, I, I mean, we're not just spectators. We're co-conspirators at this point. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel from the, the his potential victims looking at us in the eye. Yeah, I mentioned it last time, but one of my favorites in this genre is Man Bites Dog. Yeah. And that's all about mm-hmm. a killer being followed by filmmakers, and he slowly draws them in and makes yeah, them They implicit. get wrapped up in it, yeah. When I watched this, I, I thought it's kind of the same vibe, except you, the viewer, mm-hmm. are those filmmakers that are being drawn along for yeah. the crime. You have no other point of reference throughout mm-hmm. this movie. You're just with Kay. That's it. Um, so he gets a, dis- a really gross looking sausage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just goes to town on it. Oh man, there's just gross close ups of him eating it. <laughs> yeah, I think Tiffany checked out here because, <laughs> because of the sausage. She hates anything where it's like close ups of people eating like oh, that. Oh, well, there's a bit more of that too. So she was like, yeah, I'm out on this one. I don't care. And then they, the women keep looking at him, and I wonder if. They really were looking at him this much because he has a line where he says that they're taunting him. Mm-hmm. I I, I kind of wonder if they were just basically ignoring him, but in his mind, right? They're staring at him. Uh, it's his own perception that's like twisting mm-hmm. what's really happening, but we can only see it from his perspective. Yep. Uh, he decides there's too many people around, so he leaves the shop. He gets into a cab uh, driven by a woman who uh, Kay tells us. Uh, she reminds him of his first girlfriend. <laughs> and he recounts a tale of uh, of beating her for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, cab driver gets suspicious because he's back there. He's undoing his laces. Yep. And she's like, what are you doing back and there? And she tries to talk to him a few times. And he kind of just ignores her. Yeah. So that's like another red flag. Yeah. She asks where to. He says, go straight. <laughs> <laughs> Because he says he's been in prison for 10 years. He doesn't even really know the city anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so she gets suspicious, stops the cab. He's about to go and try to choke her out. Yeah, but he kind of freaks out. She's kind of fighting back. He panics and leaves and just starts running through the woods. <laughs> and that's one thing I like about this movie, how there's like this mystique built up a lot about serial killers, especially the fictional ones like Hannibal Lecter or something. Like, like almost like they're unstoppable. Yeah. Monster. They're in total control. They have supernatural predatory abilities, but that's really not the case. No. And it's funny. Cause um, there's interviews with Ted Bundy where he talks about this and he's like, you know, um, sometimes I would lose my head if it wasn't screwed on. Yeah. Cause he would just like forget stuff and realize yeah. that it. disorganized mm-hmm. psychopathy, you know? And yeah, a lot of the reasons they don't get caught is because they're so brilliant. It's just because, it's easy to get away with murder, apparently. <laughs> well, again, if we go back to this whole idea, like the system failing, they're not looking like they should. They're not keeping track of things. They're they're not expecting anything like this. 
And it's easy to kind of stumble your way through. Yeah. Especially when there's no motive. And come out the other end. Right. Um, oh, and here we get the music kind of kicks in here, mm, too. Yeah, yeah, And it's good music. It's a good score. It's a very early 80s kind of synthy. It was done by uh, Klaus Schulz. Beat me to it. Who was a member of Tangerine Dream for a little while. And I think you can get the vibe there a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's this nice kind of new wavy techno sort of score. It's mm-hmm. nice. Really drives the action. Um, let's see. Ah, so eventually he walks or runs around and then stops walking, starts walking. And he's in a neighborhood. And some of these houses are sort of isolated. You know, they're, they're not too far away from each other, but there's like a lot of overgrowth. And, and yeah, stuff. just kind of set off on their own. Yeah. And um, he picks a house. Yeah, he thinks it might be abandoned. Breaks into it, thinking it'd be a good place to lay low. Uh, when he goes in, it's immediately weird because there's like some signs of habitation, mm-hmm. but it looks like either people just moved in or they're moving out. Yeah. Because there's like a mattress on the floor mm-hmm. and like some items in the kitchen, dishes and stuff. <laughs> like he smashes it and then very awkwardly enters. I, I just, I, I love how awkward he is. Oh, I had a note about this scene too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he smashes the window to break in, the window he breaks is not stunt glass, but real glass. Really? And, and the actor that plays Kay, Erwin uh, Letter... He's very good. Very good. He insisted on doing this because he wanted it to seem authentic. Hmm. And he actually injured his hand in the process. Ouch. But they got the shot. Oh, wow. Huh. That's cool. I didn't know that. Nice. Um, and that's when you know you're going to have a good film when the, the crew are that dedicated to... Yeah, when they're willing to cut themselves to the vision. for the art. <laughs> Funny Vic Murr had gotten him. <laughs> uh, so Kay's wandering around and he encounters a man in a wheelchair mm-hmm. who is obviously disabled and just says, Papa. Yeah, he seems to have some, something's going wrong upstairs in the yeah. head. Uh, so Kay sort of ignores him and starts wandering around the house some more. And again, just more great camera work. So apparently the cinematographer, who we should probably go ahead and talk about a little bit. Yes. Um, it's a big new Rebachinsky. Sounds good to me. <laughs> he co-wrote the movie. And he also edited the film. Yes. So this is very much almost like a co-director in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. it was very much visual conception the whole time. Uh, he had mostly shot shorts and documentaries before this, but had done like a lot of music videos, which kind of You shows. can see that, yeah. yeah. And that's why the director chose him. So he did a lot of, uh, he like put the camera on a rope and pulley system hmm. and would use mirrors to hide the camera in certain shots. Um, so you can get that kind of, you know, straight on <laughs> shot without seeing the... Clever. Camera reflected. Clever, clever. And he also had like a body rig for the actor for K to wear. See, I knew there had to be a body rig yeah. at some point. So it's just, it's so impressive. Which is crazy when you think about now what people do with like GoPros. Yeah. And then here's this crew in the 80, early 80s. Just Big like, bulky yeah. film cameras. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we don't care. Strap it on. It's amazing. Um, let's see. So. so notably, this disabled man, he mistakes K to be his father. Yes. Which gives him a little bit of an in. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, eventually a car arrives at the house mm-hmm. with an older woman, uh, what we perceive to be her daughter, and a dog. Mm-hmm. An old 
thought some. And at this point, I got really worried. Because of the dog. Because of the dog. And all the, <laughs> the animal killings he alluded to. Yeah. And I, the, I start stealing myself for him dispatching of this dog in some <laughs> horrible way. So just keep that in your mind throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is so crazy. And so he hides when they arrive. Yes. <laughs> um, God, there's so many great shots. And they, they come in. They come in. The camera's... It's almost floating around. It's like yeah. in the ceiling looking down at everybody. It makes me think of... Um, like in some video games, you can go into like developer mode where you just like drift around and kind of okay. like float and go anywhere. Yeah. It's almost like the camera is in that sort of setup. Interesting. Where it could just freely move wherever it wanted if you had control of it. Yeah, it's like we're a fly in the room or maybe even like just an omnipotent god or something. Mm-hmm. And we, we're just looking down on them. Uh, so the dog runs upstairs and it's just like looking at Kay, wagging its tail. <laughs> it's not afraid at all. It doesn't know. Run. Run yeah. Uh, the man in the wheelchair calls the old, older woman mother and says that Papa's there. And so don't, don't be stupid. He's been dead for years. And then Kay starts thinking to himself about how his mother tried to freeze him to death as a child. Mm-hmm. Like put him in like wet diapers and let them out by the window. Like there's very little dialogue from anyone else. It's almost all of his internal. Yeah, it's, it's really you're just locked in his head. Yeah. Uh, so the daughter's name, who's Sylvia, she's the first to get attacked by Kay. Yeah, he um, well, he tapes her to a door, right? Yeah, he kind of awkwardly <laughs> ties her to the door. It's like her hands tied to the knob. Yeah, and her one of her ankles is tied along with it, mm-hmm. so she can't really move around that much. And he's running around, like, getting things to tie them up with. And the mother's just sort of staring at him, like, in shock. Like, she doesn't really react. Yeah. Which, I mean, I've heard of people in situations like that where they, yeah, they just freeze up. Which he does, like, choke her out eventually. He does choke her out. In this moment. Uh, He just dumps the guy out of the wheelchair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, this dude is just, like, stone-cold callous, too. Like, there's no hesitation at all. No. And as he's and it's very awkward. Everything he does is awkward. But as he's tying up Sylvia, Kay's thinking about how much he hated his sister, because she could do anything that she wanted. Um, mm-hmm. So he beat her, and he starts struggling with the mother. She just kind of fights back, and we get more of that kind of floating camera. And like, there's especially one shot where Sylvia is tied up struggling and she looks directly in the camera mm-hmm. she's looking at us. It's almost like she's asking you, the viewer to act. Exactly. Like she's imploring us to do something. Why are you just mm-hmm. watching? You know? So then it, it, we become complicit with this <laughs> <laughs> and almost maybe even accusing like, why are you enjoying this? Yeah. It made me think <laughs> of, and it's a cheesy thing to reference, but for a while in like the nineties and, on they tried to do these like full motion video video games mm-hmm. where it's like you watched a movie and then you would like press buttons to react ah. and they always framed them like the actors would talk to the camera right because they were talking to you the player right like there's the one what is it night trap where it's like um, <laughs> you're killing the sorority sisters or yeah something. the sorority sisters and there's people trying to kill them and you have control of the house and you're supposed to be helping them and they'll be like what are you doing <laughs> yeah that's great Uh, But this is that same vibe where it's like she's beseeching you, the viewer, 
No, you're right. Not directly, but it's just all with the look and the presentation. Yeah, and as he's subduing the mother, he's thinking about how he killed a pig at the convent with a knife. So as he's committing these crimes, he, he's reliving things he's done. Yeah, it's interesting because he's almost not even there in that moment. He's in like another place. Yeah. And he's just his body is just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brother starts crawling away, the man in the wheelchair. Mm. And Kay talks more about being beaten by his stepfather while his mother and sister laughed. Um, and he uh, drags the dude upstairs. Yep. And there's a bathtub full of water, which he promptly and awkwardly pushes him into. Yep. And drowns him. He's really making short work yeah. <laughs> of the house. Yeah. Uh, so he goes back downstairs and returns to the mother. And it, she's not dead so much as like... She's not moving. Yeah. In case thinking to himself that everything had gone wrong, that it happened too fast. Mm-hmm. He imagined it would be much more dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Which plays into the whole fantasy that mm-hmm. psychopaths have. You know, serial killers and stuff. Uh, but yeah, she's not responding. And... Uh, but he says he wants her conscious so she can experience everything. Yep. And he like puts her in the wheelchair and he takes the gag off of Sylvia and she's like, you know, my mother's sick. Her medicine's in the kitchen. Please give it to her. And he's just like <laughs> dropping pill after pill into her mouth. <laughs> yes. But she ain't moving no more. Um, yeah. So in the end it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of shoves the wheelchair away in a rage. Yeah. There's that weird shot. It's obviously like a cut frame or something. He pushes her and she like slams up against the wall. Yeah, and yeah. Just suddenly stops. It's odd. It's uniquely... It's kind of... It works. It's weird. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was meant to be that way, but I don't know. It's a weird shot. But it works. Uh, Meanwhile, Sylvia attempts to escape. Yeah, she's got like a knife in her mouth, but... <laughs> He comes and gets it away from her. Yep. He chases her down easily. Zero mm-hmm. effort. And she's like trying to bite him and stuff. And, and in his mind, he's saying stuff like, he, he thinks that she's trying to seduce him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> that disconnect. Yeah. Uh, so he stabs her to death. <laughs> well, she throws herself up to that plate window. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the glass. Which, the, the that door. one is a fake glass. Yeah. But the stunt went kind of wrong, and apparently the actress actually did bruise herself pretty badly on the landing. She lands hard. Yeah, you could see it in the film. There's like no padding that you can see. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So again, this is like uh, when you think of like those special films where like even making the movie was a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that like bleeds into the movie. Yeah. So there's this weird kind of tunnel downstairs Mm -hmm. uh, from their house leading out to like this open yard area and she's running down this tunnel. He easily catches up with her and yeah, gets her on the ground. The dog's trailing behind like barking and stuff. And yeah, he just starts stabbing her with that knife going to town. Then he drinks her blood. Then he drinks her blood. And then this is a disturbing scene. This mm-hmm. is an extreme scene because it's, it's a pretty brutal, realistic murder. Yeah, it's probably one of the most extreme moments of the film. I yeah. would say. Yeah, definitely. As far as pure visuals go. Mm-hmm. And they actually used pig's blood. For this scene too, mm-hmm. to make it more realistic. There you go. Yeah. So he begins drinking her blood, and then he promptly starts vomiting. <laughs> and I think there's a little bit. There's a bit of a time lapse here. He like yeah, passes he, out. He kind of just passes out. Yeah. Like you do, you know, stab someone, drink their blood, throw up, pass yeah. out, have sex with her corpse apparently because his pants are down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. they kind of 
very casually kind of smooth over that. Yeah, it's not, you know, this isn't a Serbian film we're talking about mm-hmm. here. <laughs> uh, so now Kay gets up and he's feeling sick because all that blood. <laughs> <laughs> and he begins to collect all the family members. Yep. He says he wants to keep the family with him. That thought excites him. He's trying to move the mother and he even has an orgasm. Yeah. As he's doing that. And it Which excites I, him. He wants to show these corpses to his new victims. Mm-hmm. He thinks that would really scare them. Yeah, because again, he <laughs> wants that fear out of them. Right. And he thinks that by displaying these, that will elicit the fear that he wants. Mm-hmm. Which again, the, the thing that he like orgasms when he's like pulling her, um, that's very much a whole like serial killer trope of where they kind of get spliced up and begin to like connect sexual arousal with violence. Right, right. And we see him collect all the family members. Mm-hmm. The whole time he's thinking to himself, we get some cool techno music. <laughs> <laughs> um, Your he, mileage may vary on that, but I did quite like yeah, it. Yeah, I liked it. He cleans up and he's like wearing a, like tails, like a tuxedo coat mm-hmm. that he finds in the house. Uh, puts all the bodies in the trunk, takes off in the car. The dog gets in the car with him. Yeah, he's... He's his dog now. I'm still getting, I'm still very nervous. The whole movie, <laughs> I have been so nervous for this dog. You don't know. Oh, man. Cause the, and he looks like, I have some friends who have a couple of Dotsons, and they're so cute. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he drives and almost immediately wrecks. Yes. Into the back of a parked car. There's a school crossing. He stands, he's driving recklessly. He's excited. He's tired. And he starts freaking out because everyone's gathering around the car. The woman's telling him to come out. It's funny because you would almost think he's on some kind of drugs, how like manic and yeah. unhinged he is. But it's really, it's just him. Right. Uh, so he just floors it, goes past them, winds up at the same coffee shop he was at before. <laughs> he goes inside looking ridiculous and disheveled. But the same people are there. And I think that's interesting that they frame it that the way. Exact same people. Same seats, same layout, mm-hmm. same everything. As if he just walked back into the same place. Right. In that time. Yeah. Or were they even there? Mm-hmm. Um, so he does the same thing. He gets another gross sausage and starts eating it. He feeds the dog. Yeah, he goes outside, <laughs> feeds the dog. I'm like, this is it. This is what I'm thinking in my head. This is it. He's going to fucking kill that dog. Uh, cops show up. Yep. And they start circling around the car asking for registration. He's telling all these stupid lies. <laughs> all the while feeding the dog the sausage. They want him to open the trunk, and he's happy to. Yeah, he, he, know, he does it with a smile on his face. Yeah, because it's going to scare them yeah. when he sees what he's when they see what he's done. And uh, he opens it up, and everyone's just sort of staring in. And then that voiceover from the beginning comes back and tells us that uh, he was imprisoned for life after this. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, and the dog survives. The dog survives. Whew. And then at the end, they have that voiceover, right? And it's the, it's a medical record. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of their conclusion about like what was his deal. And they conclude that he was driven to sadistic tendencies caused by an unstable childhood. <laughs> right. Which we had already had set up. The understatement the of the century. Yeah. And that's every serial killer right there. Yep. That or a traumatic head injury. <laughs> Usually all those things. Um, so and that is the end. As a plot, it's a surprisingly short film. Mm-hmm. I think its power is much more in its execution. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about this movie, but you it's such a visual film. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it to really get it. Mm-hmm. 
And that's that's in contrast, I think, to a Serbian film where there's a lot going on there and there's a lot of ideas there. Whereas in this one, it's they've got this one kind of just like a slice of a serial killer life. Mm-hmm. But stylistically, there's so much going on in the way it's presented. Oh, absolutely. And um, also, I mean, the, it's shot on film from the early 80s, so it has a, it has a nice grainy look, mm-hmm. which I think is much more effective than newer, slicker HD cameras. Like the red camera from a uh, Serbian film, that's a digital format. Exactly, exactly. So you I, can, If that were shot on film, or even blown up from 16 millimeter, mm-hmm. I think it would be much more disturbing because it would have that grungy look. Because when it, when it is like HD digital, you can add the grain through like effects processing and stuff, but it, it never feels never authentic. Yeah. yeah, it's never the same. And that's, yeah, it, the look of it, it has so much to do with this movie. The way it's shot, the way it's lit. I think, I think it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous film. And very well made. I think it's probably one of the first movies I can think of that shows that point of view of a serial killer... And this was the height of the slasher era, too. Yeah. You know? Um, what it reminds me of a lot, and it's maybe this was an influence for that, is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, yeah. I, 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 John McNaughton had to have seen this film. Because that's the same thing, where you're locked in on the killer's perspective mm-hmm. only, and you're just along for the ride, man. Yeah. You just got to go with it. And that one's even more documentarian-like, mm-hmm. because McNaughton was you know, a documentarian. <laughs> and it doesn't have those flourishes that this movie does. But it has that same, yeah, you're in the mind of the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And this was actually based on an actual Yep, that's the killer. next thing I wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. It was an actual triple murder case known as the um, Nisic case. Warner Nisic, born 1946, from Salzburg. Uh, he killed three people that they say out of pure lust. Pure lust. Um, happened, in the ni- happened in 1980. And it was seen to stand as a threatening symbol of senseless death and destruction for its own sake. Um, I had a quote that they pulled about him that he, he said, uh, I think during the trial. Uh, he said, I just love it when women shiver in deadly fear because of me. It's like an addiction which will never stop. Hmm. And his psychiatrist classified him as, quote, extremely abnormal, but not mentally ill. <laughs> I uh, went on to say he had an explosive mixture of lust for destruction and an addiction to physical violence. Hmm. But not mentally ill. No. Wow. So really, like, uh, I think, I don't know that case super well. Right. But I do dig true crime, but I'm not, like, diehard. Yeah. Um, based on the very limited bit I read, I think this film's, like, a good adaptation, stylistically, of, like, the same ideas as far as like what he professed his perspective to be. Sure. And it's interesting that this movie was made so soon after that event. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to make sense of it all. Um, and another fun serial killer connection. I, I don't know if you call it fun. I, I call it fun. <laughs> interesting. Uh, true crime is weird like that. Sure. But um, the some of the stuff that is said during the narration in this film are quotes from other real-life serial killers. The notable one they pull from is Peter Curtin. Ooh. Who was also known as the Vampire, Vampire of Dusseldorf. Yes. Yeah. Why is the serial killers always got the cool names? <laughs> I Peter, don't know, man. Peter Curtin. That could have been like a... That's a horror actor name. Horror right actor there. or like a rock star. Yeah, Peter Curtin. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well. 
Well, any other things um, you have to say about this film before we go into our final thoughts? So I don't think I have any more f- fun facts about the film. Um, I didn't do like a lot of research, but I was upset at the lack of things I found about it. Like it's still kind of underseen. It's not I got think. a lot of coverage. Uh, the Blu-rays out from Cult Epics. They were the ones that released it. I don't even know that label. Uh, I don't know if they're still active or not. They might be. It's not one I keep tabs on. Well, this needs a re-release, and it needs more attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what the content of the Blu-ray is, but I, I would hope it has both versions. Mm-hmm. If not, I would love to see one that has both versions. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Especially since it seems like it would be easy to set up since you're just deleting a part. Right. Instead of, like, re-cutting it. Yeah. So what do you think? So, if I formulate my thoughts on this one and my feelings, mm-hmm. um, it's got brilliant cinematography, music, composition, all that kind of stuff. Um, the story is pretty light, and I don't know if I was infected by a Serbian film mm-hmm. where I was kind of like, where, where's the big picture? Where's the bigger thought? Right. Um, and I don't think there is like a bigger theme or a thought That's here. Part of the point. That is the point yeah, of the film. Right. Um, it is just this dude and he is fucked up and he is just out on a killing spree. And we're stuck in his head. And you're stuck in there with them. And that's boom. It's the slice of what that is. Uh, so I respect it for that. And mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Um, it's hard. You, you can't understate how influential this film is. I think you see it. in, like I said, like in Henry, um, Gaspar Noe like worships at the altar of this film. Yeah. So if you go onto his things like Irreversible, or I, th- I think he's even said Enter the Void, also pulled oh, a lot inspiration. Camera work and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. So in that way, I think it's a, an important film that's maybe a little more overlooked, like you were saying. Mm. Um, perhaps doesn't get the respect it deserves. Um, if we're talking extreme horror in general, I think this is maybe a good like starter film. To a degree, just because it doesn't have the like absolute level of like sexual violence sure. or things like that. Right. Um, if you decide that this is the pool you want to wade into, this is maybe a good one to start at before you before you do graduate to like a Serbian film. Possibly. I might argue that actually. Um So yeah, uh I I respect it and I enjoyed my time watching it, but I also think this is one like I don't know if I would ever go back to this one, hmm. um, because I feel like the things it's inspired, I like more for where they took what this did and then like developed on it, okay, than just where this is by itself, okay. So I would give this two stars, but that is a tentative two stars, two stars, and that I I do stand by giving oh my it God. two. But I also think it is a must-watch if you're interested in this genre. Okay. And I accept the fact that very much if you go to it, you're probably going to feel different than me. Sure. So is it two stars basically because of what you think is the lack of story? Uh, to a degree, and then just like... I never, I didn't feel a compulsion of like going back to it. Okay. Which I know I said about a Serbian film, but for me and the things that interest me, like a Serbian film is riding on those themes and ideas. Mm-hmm. Or even if I don't watch it again, I've still got those thoughts to think about, like a of like the the exploitation of people and these monolithic inter- entities and how they crush a person. And so, even just based on the technical aspects of this movie, you wouldn't watch it again. Probably not, because I again I think there's other films that have pulled from this and then also taken it further. Hmm. Give me examples in mind right now. 
we'll, we'll like uh, Irreversible and Enter the Void mm-hmm. and, and Henry, yeah. Like, those are my three big examples of, like... I just find the camera work so unique here. And, it, yes, that, that style has been kind of used, but it's just so it's just unique in this movie. It's like a character unto itself. So even just with the stylistic touches of this movie, I could watch it several times. Just that alone, the technical, technical aspects alone, I could watch it over I think, and over. And I don't know what this says about me, but I would rewatch a Serbian film before I, hmm. I rewatch this. Okay, okay. So yeah, uh, locked in at two. All right. Well, I would argue this might not be a good starting point for a lot of people because it doesn't have that much of a narrative. Mm-hmm. The whole point is that it's a moment of time in this psychotics brain you know and yeah we don't know anything about the victims we don't you know it's very methodical it's very cinema verite you know it's just a slice of life see but i think if you've watched any kind of true crime docs before you can like immediately click with this possibly yeah yeah if you're in a true crime docs yeah i could see that um hmm, okay but yes elaborate on your feelings okay uh yeah i mean i was pretty struck by this um is it extreme? There are parts that are extreme. Is it disturbing? I think it is. Um, especially for the time. We weren't getting a lot of movies like this back then. You know? Um, and I think it still holds up very well. I think it's still better than a lot of the things we get today. The way it's filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about it that I just really, really love. Uh, it's hard for me to say. I think it's... Um, it has a, a je ne sais quoi. The je ne sais quoi. It has a certain what the French call... <laughs> I don't know what. Um, but yeah, I, I love that slice of a serial killer's mind. Mm-hmm. I, I like the setting. I was getting possession vibes. Because it's around that same time frame. I guess. Same area, more or less. Listen, man, don't step to possession. Oh, God. Okay. Um... Yeah, I just think it's a brave, unique movie, and the fact that the director never did anything after this is a crime. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a note I had I forgot to hit on. Um, Due to the financial constraints of making this film and the subsequent controversy about its content, the director never made another film. That is a fucking crime. It's crazy. And uh, the cinematographer hadn't really made much else either. He shot only two other feature films, one from 1990 called Orchestra, and one that's recent came out a couple of years ago called Trapped. Hmm. I don't know much about, but I'm going to check it out. So, yeah, this could be a oh. divisive movie. I will agree they're very talented, and I do think it's sad that that was kind of lost extremely in the wake of this one. Yeah. Well, if you like code, detached, technically brilliant movies, I think you're going to dig this. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't like it as much. No, no, no. Again, I, I don't think it's a bad film at all. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I think it's, it's not one I would want to put in my collection. Okay. So, so I would get this on Blu-ray. I might wait for a different edition to come out, though. Okay. Um, but I do think it's, it, though it's not as extreme or as disturbing as a lot of movies we could talk about, because I was about to do Martyrs or Inside or something mm-hmm. like that. But everybody's kind of heard of that. And I, I think this movie just needs a little bit more love. needs a bit more attention. And I do think it, qualifies as an extreme. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it is on Tubi, so right. you, you can get at it pretty easy. It. Yeah, so please check it out.
And yeah, this is probably going to end up being a shorter episode, but I mean, there's just not... Oh, wait. I didn't get my star rating. Oh, yeah. Four stars. Woo! Yep. That's a heavy recommend from Jason. It is. Four stars. It really is. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll see. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is probably a shorter episode than we usually do. I mean, there's just not the the content to go through with the film itself because it's very much the execution. It's visual, yeah, rather than the story it. that happens. Like the story itself, if we really wanted to like drill down and summarize it, we could do it in like a paragraph. Yeah, killer gets out of jail, wanders into a house, kills three people, gets caught, goes back to jail. Mm-hmm. Boom, that's the plot. Yeah. So we we tried to really focus in on the stuff we like, but even that doesn't. It's like trying to talk about music or something. Right, right. You have to experience it yourself yeah, yeah. to really. You can talk about it some. You can say what you liked. You can relate it a little bit. But eventually, you just have to sit down and listen to it to get mm-hmm. what the person's saying. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting direction to go after uh, a Serbian film. Yeah, where are we going to go next, I wonder? So, in our setup, I mentioned how influential Asian cinema was in blowing up this into being a bigger deal mm-hmm. for the modern time. So, I think we have to talk about that for a little bit. Also, I'm obsessed with Japanese cinema. <laughs> so, if you know it's a pick from me coming, it's like flip a coin, heads or tails... One side is going to be a Japanese pick. Well, luckily, Japan has a lot of extreme yes. films to choose from. And in our little overview, I alluded to these, and I feel like it's just it's such an important piece of the pie. We have to go back for an episode and just fully talk about this. So I have selected for us, for my pick, from 1988, Mermaid in the Manhole. Mm. One of the entries in the very infamous Guinea Pig series. Oh, okay. It may or may not be the fourth, fifth, or sixth <laughs> entry depending on how you want to count the numbers, and we will get all into that next time. Oh, God, okay. Now, these aren't the guinea pigs from The Beast in Heat, right? They are not. Okay, okay. Um, This is more in the terms of that as an experimental subject Uh instead of uh, the cute little animals that are beloved (laughs) by many, including myself. Interesting. All right. Um, It'll maybe be another quickie because it's only like a 60-minute movie, but... Mm. Yeah, and I haven't seen this, so Ooh, I'm anxious to interesting. check it out. Uh, surprisingly, I have, especially once you watch it, and you'll be like, wow, Dustin actually watched this. <laughs> only because uh, it's Japanese. Only because it's Japanese, and I struggled to get through it. But we'll get into that. We'll get into the whole guinea pig series thing. Um, it'll be fun. Right. It'll, it'll be interesting. I'm looking it'll be forward fun. to it. Uh, I want to talk to you about Hideshi Hino, the manga artist that was like the, the mastermind behind this whole series in a way. Okay. It, it was his manga that kind of inspired everything. Awesome. So we'll talk about that too, because he is great. Excellent. So Can't wait. Uh, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Happy Halloween as we continue our Odyssey on Extreme Horror. Happy Extreme Halloween. Extreme Halloween. Um hit us up on social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what you've been watching. Email us at genreexposure at gmail.com with your film recommendations. We want to watch what you think is cool for us to watch. And we want to know what you've been digging for October to maybe find <laughs> some cool movies to watch on our own. Yeah, let us know. Um, so, as always, this has been Genre Exposure. Thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. Take care. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. 
Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.